is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is the Talking Dead podcast, number 559, recorded on Monday, November the 8th, 2021. Welcome to the program, everyone. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. I am delighted to be here, as is Jason, I'm sure. Jason, are you delighted to be here? I am super delighted to be here. I'm all revved up and raring to go after this wonderful long weekend that we had. (laughs) The extra hour long weekend. Yeah, well, it's another hour. It's a long weekend as far as I'm concerned. That's very, very true. Uh, we were. It was Saturday afternoon, and I was talking to the kids about uh, the fact that we changed the clocks back an hour, so we get an extra hour of of uh, sleep or extra hour of the day, basically, on, on mm-hmm. Sunday morning. And Izzy, Izzy goes, well, but like, how, how do the how do the clocks all just know to do that? And I'm like, well, the, most of the clocks you have these days are more computers than clocks. So yeah. they, they can figure it out. You know, things like the alarm clock isn't going to do it. That's sitting beside your bed, but your phone, that'll just do it for you. Or the computer, it'll just do it for you at the right time. Yeah. And, and she says, so, so what's it like if you're up at two o'clock in the morning and it's two, but it's only one, what happens? I'm like, well, the phone goes from 11.59 a, sorry, from, it goes from 1.59 a.m. to 1 a.m. Yep. when that minute changes. And she's like, that's so weird. Can I stay up to watch that happen? And I said, no, because you need to go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, well, are you going to be up when that happens? And I said, maybe, because I always stay up way too late. And she right. said, if you are, do a screen recording of your phone so I can see it happen. I said, okay, no problem. So. Uh, the evening is going on, just like mm-hmm. this story is going on. And it, on and on, yeah. And Got on it. and on, yeah. And I, uh, it was, it was Saturday. So, uh, you know, I, I was up a little bit late and I'm like, you know what? I should go to bed. But then I thought, oh man, I want to watch a little bit more hockey. So I watched a little bit more of the hockey that's always on TV on Saturday night. And then after that, I thought, boy, I should really go to bed. And I'm like, oh crap. I need to work on watching some Walking Dead episodes to get ready for the podcast on Monday night. So I put on two episodes of Walking Dead shows to watch, Mm -hmm. which we're going to talk about here in a minute if the story ever ends. And next thing I knew, it was like 1.30, 1.45 in the morning. And I'm like, ah, well, here we go. I might as well just stay up another 15 (laughs) minutes to record the time change for Izzy. And so I did, and I recorded it, and the next day I showed her, and she was very excited. Nice. You didn't wake her up? No, I didn't wake her up. Were I did, you tempted? No, it didn't even occur to me, actually. I'm just like, I'll record this, and she can watch the video on my phone. I don't even think I was up anywhere near that late on Saturday night. I didn't even remember on Sunday morning. I just got up, went about my business, and later on in the day, I'm like, this stove clock seems off. <laughs> oh, yeah. The time changed. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's my my uh, fallback time change story. Anyways, I, I was happy that I could make her happy and wa- mm-hmm. have her watch the time change by itself. And you got to stay up way too late. And I stayed up way too late, but I did it in the name of watching Walking Dead shows that we are here to talk about today. And that's what we're going to do. And I feel like we have a lot to cover. So um, yeah, maybe we should just jump right in. 
Surely. I, I was going to take a minute to talk about how much AMC Plus is sucking right now, but I can probably save that for later because it doesn't seem like it is going to stop sucking anytime soon, so it'll be just as relevant next week. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> as long as uh, that kind of thing will keep, then we're good. Yeah. All right. So let's not talk about that for now and get into what we are here to do today. The uh, main function of this podcast is to talk about Fear the Walking Dead Season 7, Episode 4, and then two episodes of uh, The Walking Dead World Beyond. It would be Episode 5 and 6 of Season 2. So let's do Fear first. How do you feel about that? Uh, okay, fine. <laughs> Were you all set on going the other way around? I was set on going the other way around, and uh, I just watched Fear, so this might be better. Okay. Like just like within the last hour and a half. Oh, good. All right. Well, let's let's do fear first. So this is season seven, episode four. It's called Breathe With Me. And it aired on AMC uh, yesterday, November 7th. So this is going to get us right caught up with fear. In fact, we were caught up last week too, but uh, we're not going to get behind on fear, which is nice. Yeah. And this episode centers around the group of characters who were picked up in a CRM helicopter just before the nukes went off at the end of season six. So, you know, as we've been going here, the episodes have focused on small groups of characters, Morgan and Grace, uh, Strand, uh, June and John, and now everybody who is in that helicopter. So that includes Althea, who in season six was already with the CRM. If you remember, she kind of left early go and search for Isabel. Yep, I do. But the rest of the group in this helicopter was Sarah, Luciana, Charlie, Wes, Daniel, and Jacob. And Jacob is the uh, rabbi, although he doesn't appear in this episode. He's there somewhere. Mm -hmm. But the episode mostly focuses on Sarah, who wakes up and goes on a mission to find her brother, Wendell, who's been missing for a while. And I had to go look it up because I feel like we haven't seen Wendell on screen much lately. And it's true we haven't because he only appeared in one single episode in season six. Oh, wow. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, not very much. Um, and that's basically this episode. So, so we'll go through it. Now, I got to say, I did not like this episode very much. I thought it was okay. Uh, I did have a very particular and specific problem with it, but we can cover that as uh, time may allow. Okay. Uh, but in general, I thought this was uh, this was okay. Um, the bounty hunter character kind of did a fucking 180 uh, more so than I thought yes. he was going to do. And uh, he came around real quick. I mean, just, you know, you hurt your dog and... Uh, you know, all of your life goals and anger gets uh, dropped out the window forever. Yeah, that's that's very true. So uh, Josiah LaRue, this is Emile's brother who we got, you know, a hint of last time. He he f plays a big part in this one. Um, but, uh, you know, I really, I really did not enjoy this one. I thought there was just too much about it that was kind of dumb and... Yeah, hard to swallow, really. In fact, I think, you know how I complained about last week's episode, not really mm -hmm. liking it that much? Uh, compared to this one, I think last week's was great, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> you know, this one made me like last week's more, 
and uh in in a way just it's 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 pulled the whole season down a little bit for me and you know this the season hasn't been amazing but i thought it started all right with the first two but this one is kind of kind of starting to ruin it for me so maybe we'll get into why but we'll start with uh sarah she wakes up in a comfortable looking bed you know uh, I thought she was sort of moving her eyes and her mouth and her hands really weirdly. I'm not sure what Mo Collins was doing there, to be honest, but I thought she looked strange. Um, nobody's around, so she makes her way through this mysterious building. A zombie comes at her from nowhere. She can't kill it. And then suddenly all her friends are there, just out yeah. of nowhere. And in fact, if you look at it, Luciana comes running out of the same hall that Sarah came out of. It might have been a staircase. I don't know, but... I just thought that was the whole sequence. I thought was kind of dumb. And Wasn't the zombie weird. wearing some kind of uh, road sign armor? Armor? I didn't notice that even. He was wearing like a road sign, and it looked kind of form fitted to him. It was really weird. It was probably just a T-shirt with a road sign on it. I don't know. Okay, that's cool. Well, that's oh, fun. I want one of those. <laughs> yeah, why not? But I, I thought, oh boy, we're not off to a great start here. This this whole scene sort of doesn't seem to make very much sense and not only that once everybody shows up they say that the zombie must have come in through the gate because somebody left it open and then they blame daniel because he's the one who's forgetting things well why wouldn't you blame daniel yeah well okay why wouldn't you but i honestly felt uncomfortable a little bit with that scene the way they just blame the guy who's having mild dementia it's like oh it must be daniel's fault he's the one who can't remember anything anymore it just felt off to me. I'm like, why would you, why would you sort of be so lighthearted and flippant about something like that, right? It, it's a, it's supposed to be life or death on this show, and b, the poor guy is is going through like a health crisis, and I felt like they were almost making fun of it in a way, and I, I didn't like it. It didn't sit right with me. Yeah, it was not great. So I, we're kind of off to a off to a rough start, I must admit. Um, and then Al explains that they, I mean, they put the helicopter down, but the way she describes it, it sounds like it semi crashed. You know, a little maybe maybe came down a little hard, and they had to fight their way through the dead, and they've taken up residence at this place called Fort Fort San Vicente. Um, and I didn't think of it at the time. But after watching this episode, and when I went back to watch it a second time, I thought, you know what? I would have rather seen that story. Crash the helicopter, <laughs> fight your way through the zombies, get to where they are, the end. I mean, that sounds a little more exciting and interesting, frankly. Yeah, they yada, yada, yada over the best part. That's what I'm feeling like, exactly. And I didn't, you know, I didn't know that the first time because I didn't know what was to come yet. But then I turned it on and I thought, huh, that seems like a better part. I don't know. Now, is this fort, whatever, is it a museum or is it just, uh, oh, it's somebody's, somebody's house, right? They talked about somebody turning it into uh, a personal bunker type thing. Yeah. Al explained, I think that some rich guy bought it and she says, turned it into a B and B. I see. Okay. Cause there's a lot of guns that are perfectly accessible to everybody walking around, uh, <laughs> for anything that is open to the public. I mean, or any, you know, in general, you shouldn't have this many guns lying around anyway. Just, you know, whether they're loaded or unloaded, because you could walk in with uh, your own bullets and all of a sudden you have uh, any weapon you want that, you know, 
obviously takes those bullets. Right. But that's why they don't, uh, that's why at uh, gun shops, when you go to, uh, you walk into a gun shop and you say, can I see that shotgun? They don't land you, uh, hand you a shotgun that has, uh, hasn't been safe, like the firing pin removed. Because people pull shotgun shells out of their pockets, put them in the shotgun, and all of a sudden you've got a loaded shotgun in a room with a whole bunch of people. Yeah, uh, not so good. You, so that's not good. So these weapons, they just it seemed obviously uh, a little too accessible to many, many firearms lying around. I mean, maybe that's maybe they've done that since they got there, since the apocalypse. It's obviously not a B&B anymore, so, you know. They looked like they were on display, though. They weren't they just, did. you know, stockpiling armaments for the zombie apocalypse. It looks like these were lovingly uh, put on display. Like, uh, she picks up a, a fucking flintlock, right? Right. And she, she tries to cock it. <laughs> uh, before she takes a swing at the zombie uh, with it as a, a, a as a, a melee weapon, but uh, yeah, you don't just cock those things and fire them. It's just it takes some time and skill and practice. Yeah, no, you're right. Fair enough. But they're just lying around, so I, I don't know what was going on. Uh, then, I mean, then we sort of get into what we're going to what's going to play into the rest of the episode here because Sarah asks about Wendell, her brother. And we find out that he left the dam at some point, the dam uh, being where Morgan was trying to set up that community, if you recall. Not the, not the previous dam that they blew up. <laughs> There's been more than different one dam. dam. Different yeah, dam. Different dam. Different dam time. Uh, and Charlie, Charlie steps forward and says, all we found was this and hands her Wendell's hat. So now I'm like, oh, this is just going so badly. I mean... It seems so stupid. Charlie's just been holding that hat, waiting for Sarah to wake up the whole time. She just happens to have it in her pocket, which I know is kind of a nitpick, but uh, so much of this felt off to me that I couldn't help but focus on like little dumb things like this, you know? Well, to be fair, Chris, you left your hat here once and uh, I've been carrying it around my pocket ever since. Oh shit, really? I should come get that. <laughs> <laughs> do you wear hats? You don't wear hats. Yeah, I do lately because my hair is so long. I don't feel like going outside with this ridiculous hair on my head, so I cover it with a hat. Well, that's smart. Yeah, but in the summer, sometimes I wear like a baseball cap. You know, I don't. I don't feel. Uh, I don't feel like I'm dressed outside if I'm not wearing a hat. Really, I don't worry I feel, about it. I feel undressed if I don't have a hat on. Well, parts of your body that you don't want exposed are exposed, I guess. Well, it's not, you know, I'm not balding or anything. It's, I mean, I got pretty wild hair, but I don't give a shit about that. Uh, I just like wearing hats. Oh, fair. That's all right. Nothing wrong with, uh, nothing wrong with being a hat guy. But it stuck out in the episode for me. It's like, you know, you don't know when she's going to wake up. You don't know what's going on. It, Charlie's got that hat ready and waiting for her. Yep. Um, and, and everything we've talked about so far has come before the opening title screen. So I... I just am not feeling good about this episode going to this, uh, getting to this point. Um, now apparently they are living in this place, Fort San Vicente, and it's some kind of safe zone and they kind they refer to it as that in the episode too. So the weather is all nice and clear here. There's no nuclear fallout. Uh, everything seems great, you know, no problem. And because they haven't found Wendell, Sarah goes out on her mission to do this. And that's really where the episode gets going. And it's what the bulk of it is, is all about. But, uh, 
Seems like most of the time, until later, anyways, she stays inside this safe zone. Yeah, and she's uh, she gets on the radio every day mm-hmm. and tries to call out to Wendell. I think it's ironic that uh, she's calling out to Wendell every day, uh, you know, at the same time, I would assume. And uh, eventually she gets a hold of Morgan. Isn't that exactly what Rick was trying to do for such a long time, was trying to get a hold of Morgan, and he never did? Oh, way but, uh, back in the day. That's right. Yeah, but she does it for a while, and it's like, oh, Morgan, it's great. Yeah, Morgan. Convenient. Of course. The thing is, she also gets in touch with Josiah, right? Yeah. Uh, because she's out there looking for Wendell, and he shows up instead, at least before Morgan does. And so he forces her into this arrangement where he promises that he'll find Wendell, but he wants her to draw Morgan to them because he's going after Morgan. And that's how he gets introduced in, into this, this episode. Now, before we move on entirely, um, this, this kind of got me thinking about the timeline of Fear the Walking Dead in this season so far again, because when Sarah is talking to Josiah about how long Wendell has been missing... She says 78 days. Okay. So he's been missing 78 days. And we know that she woke up after uh, two days after the bombs exploded because Al says mm-hmm. that near the beginning. Okay. And the last episode that we saw Wendell in was season six, episode six, the one called Bury Her Next to Jasper's Leg. You recall that right. one? I do. Well, the title anyways, I'll explain. This is the one where Virginia gets bit. Remember, she gets bit and June saves her life by cutting off her arm. And it's also the one, I'm sure you'll remember this, where John Dory Jr. is still alive and he separates from the group at the very end uh, because he's in his own car and he goes on his own way back to his cabin. He leaves June behind at that point. Right. Yep. And so that's the last episode we saw Wendell. Um, the last reference to Wendell was in the season six finale, actually. Sarah is on a radio trying to tell Wendell to stay at the dam if he's even there. So, you know, at that point, he couldn't have been gone that long because she doesn't even know he's, he's left yet. Now, we also know that June and John had counted about 70 days in the bunker last week. Yes. So tell me if this makes sense, Jason. And I'm not sure if it does, because it's hard for my brain to stay focused on all of this stuff. But if Wendell's been missing um, 78 days, which is mm-hmm. what Sarah said, that means that it's been less than that since the time the bombs went off, right? Because he was gone before they exploded. Correct. Because it was in season six. So that means that Victor has set up the tower and that community in less than 78 days. Yes. I think. Two months and change. Yeah. And Morgan and Grace went on their road trip within the last 78 days. Mm-hmm. because that happened after the bombs exploded. Um, and that's where we're at, basically. So it's only been a couple of months, and uh, and Strand was able to do everything Strand was able to do. That's kind of where I'm going with this. That that seems like a lot for two months of time. It does. And I've been thinking about this uh, sort of 
not really, but it it occurs to me that a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. When 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 a nuclear weapon goes off, that kind of stirs shit up, right? It's just uh, the status quo for a lot of communities and a lot of people. Yep. Gets kind of shaken up, and then people start wandering around. So maybe that's why Strand was able to pick up a bunch of people because all of a sudden everybody's on the move, and if he's got a, a stable, clean environment, uh, and he's you know picking specific people that he's allowing in, I guess he's allowing everybody in except for people that he's pissed off at specifically. Uh, so he lets people in. Uh, based on the fact that they're wandering around and they just happen to wander by, maybe it makes sense in that regard. If it was just Strand set up camp in some, uh, if we take the nukes out of the equation, it doesn't make any sense. But maybe because of the nuke stirring up uh, people wandering around, it's like, I can't stay here. Fucking nuke went off. Right. And, you know, if you can see a nuke go off, you walk in the opposite direction. I don't care if it's it's got to be well beyond the horizon. Uh, you almost have to not know about it in order to be able to justify staying where you are. Yeah, fair enough. If you can see the flash, even if it's beyond the horizon, you just see the mushroom cloud. You're like, yeah, mushroom cloud. Bye, bye, bye. And you just go. Other way. Other way. But Strand doesn't do that. He stays put, mm-hmm. right? Where I guess... Uh, people that were just started wandering around because they're, you know, they can't stay where they are because that'd be crazy. Uh, but Strand's got this building that obviously is, uh, contamination free, I suppose. Somehow he's made it, uh, well, remember, contamination free zone. They said the weather patterns blew the, the fallout away. So they got lucky in that respect. Yeah. Well, you know, assuming they know about weather patterns. Right. Uh, in, in zombie apocalypse, but. So maybe that's just a, a small possibility of an explanation. Well, I don't know. I it it helps a little bit, frankly, to be honest, that a nuke would stir up people who have settled somewhere and they they'd flee, right? So maybe there's more people on the move, and then that means that Strand could collect them into this place. But seventy eight days still, or less than seventy eight days, whatever it is, uh, still feels like an awfully short time for all of that to happen. Now. Whatever. I mean, on the other hand, I'm a little, I'm kind of glad that the show is trying to um, give us a timeline here. Uh, would it be more annoying if they just ignored it altogether? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. You know, we wouldn't be thinking about it as much. Maybe. I don't know. But uh, in any case, that seems to be where we're at about, you know, 70 days in. And, uh, and yeah, here we are. And, on one hand, it seems pretty unlikely. On the other hand, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Uh, all right. So now Sarah is hooked up with Josiah and they're doing their thing. And they run into one of these guys, the Stalkers, right? So this is this other group of villains, I guess, that we don't really know too much about. But we've seen them in all the episodes leading up to this one. And... He's got a trailer full of naked walkers, and he says he's just supposed to spread them around. Yep. And I'm like, what? What? <laughs> what? What are you doing? Like, why? You got to give us more than that. And I'm I'm sure they will at some point, but for now, it just seemed so weird and dumb. And the whole point of him being there is because he has something of Wendell's, and uh, the dog led them there, right? The Rufus yeah, the dog. It- yeah, because it's a bloodhound, right? It's going to smell things. And then uh, 
and then randomly it, find a guy that that has something that smells the same. Yeah, bloodhounds follow trails though. They don't just go, "Oh, that's the smell." Uh, I'm pretty sure it's over there. Right. And then just go in that direction, regardless of whether, uh, the person walked from here to there. Nope. Just that person was over there and I smell it here. Therefore I've got smeldar. I can just go and the, you know, the, just scans the entire horizon. Mm-hmm. There's something on the horizon or maybe even beyond it where, uh, smeldar, you know, it uh, reflects off of, uh, low level clouds or, uh, <laughs> You know, yes. stuff so it, it can go beyond the horizon yeah uh so he just you know that that bloodhound just just beelined it for where uh, uh where that smell was not even coming from where another copy of that smell was right i'm not sure i'm pretty sure that's not how it works no no it's a bloodhound they okay the, Fine. Yeah, that's where they got the idea for radar uh, <laughs> uh is from bloodhounds all right if you say so uh it felt pretty random to me but they show up this guy and you know that's it that's that's fine so this this guy has something of Wendell's and he leads a, them a what quick quick fact you know why uh, do you do you think that carrots uh, help with night vision um no i don't do, do you think carrots help with eyesight i mean i think they do yes uh it's world war 2 propaganda is they it really? used that, it was, uh, it, they used that as a cover for the first radar stations, being able to see planes coming in uh, towards Britain during World War II uh, during nighttime, and they needed to be able to explain it. Yeah. So they said, uh, our, our soldiers are eating a lot of carrots, and that helps with vision and night vision. Well, listen. So sorry. it's bullshit. Okay. Uh, are you sure it's bullshit? Because I, what I mean by believe that it helps in my case is that I... I believe that there is something in carrots that promotes healthy eye, like good eye health. Yeah, there's also something in hamburgers that promote good healthy eye health as well, probably. Well, fine, but maybe there's more of it in carrots. All I'm saying is I I, I don't have any reason not to believe that carrots are especially good at promoting eye health, right? Lots yeah, of it's a wives' tale that. based on British propaganda from uh, World War II. All right, well. Just so you know. I'll. Stop telling my kids to eat their carrots then. No, yeah, well, no, don't do that because <laughs> carrots are, you know, it's a vegetable. It's still good for you. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, only one of them likes carrots anyways, so got to get the other one on board. That's all right. Uh, so this stalker, um, we've learned nothing about them except that they're spreading walkers around. Doesn't seem to make any sense, but whatever. He takes- Well, they're collecting their crap, right? Because he's got his outfit. He has like a, a bundle of watches and like three flashlights. And some other, like, it look he's really bulky with a bunch of fucking useless crap. Sure. He looks like a cross between Mad Max and, uh, one of the, uh, one of the generals from Fifth Element. It's <laughs> just the amount of crap that he has on his person at this time is staggering. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's also got all this crap on him, including the helmet and everything in this safe zone where apparently you can walk around with no protection on because it's safe. No, it's theatrics. They're wearing the outfits wherever they are because they need to be theatrical. Everybody in this universe is theatrical. And even we'll even get into that in the world beyond uh, in, a, in a very special segment of uh, discussion. <laughs> Good. I, I look forward to that. Um, so, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, my point is here just like it seems like they just dropped this guy into... For, for no reason other than to lead us to this stable where they've 
uh, filled all the horse stables with zombies. I guess this is where they corral them before they spread them around for some reason or whatever. But the, what happens here is that they find Wendell's destroyed wheelchair, which is probably bad because he needs that to get around. So um, this leads Sarah to believe he's dead and she freaks out. She jumps back in the car that her and Josiah were in, tries to drive away. He gets back into it but they end up driving their car off a cliff into an accident and get an accident. I think they put this in this episode just to piss me off. I I'm I'm almost sure of it. I thought it might. Why would it piss you off so much, Jason? Well, okay. So <laughs> I, I had to rewind and watch it probably a dozen times because, uh, it wasn't as a, it was egregious, but it wasn't as egregious as the original one, but for different reasons. Okay. Uh, this one didn't flip over or anything, but they decided to change the camera angle, right? The car was coming, well, first of all, it was driving away from you, and then the camera angle changes where it's falling through the air towards you, hits the ground, starts to fall back on its wheels, then the camera angle changes again to behind the car to where it falls down onto its wheels. So that at least explains the movement of the car. Now, the problem is that the terrain that they land on is completely different than the terrain that they landed on in the first shot, the first angle, or sorry, the second angle. The first angle had a wide open uh, area. The second angle had some trees behind them and a wide open area in front of them. The third angle where it landed on its wheels, there's fucking trees and rocks everywhere. Yep. And it, it's just, it's... I don't know if they had to switch to uh, stock photography for some reason. It's just it, the the continuity is so off that it 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 boggles the mind. Yeah, how they think they can get away with that. I, the continuity bothers me too, but I'm not even as as comfortable with the way the the car came down off the cliff either. Like the one you're referring to is when that van fell off the bridge, right? And it flips right over, but then lands on its wheels way back in. Season something of the the main show. I I don't even remember anymore. It's probably five. Yeah, maybe even earlier than that. But uh, this one comes like flying off this cliff. It goes down forward, lands pretty much on its nose, and then just kind of stops and falls back onto its, its wheels. I thought the momentum would have carried that car forward and it would have rolled over onto its top, I think. The fact that the momentum of it moving forward would have pushed it over. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, the uh, the weight distribution of your standard SUV, or not even, this is a more of a minivan kind of thing or a crossover, the weight distribution of these vehicles is not really balanced, right? Any car that's going to fly through the air uh, on purpose is going to have more of a balanced weight weight distribution or even race cars, stock cars, Formula One cars. Sure, yeah. They they take a lot of time to think about how much weight is in the back versus how much weight is in the in the front and whether or not it's balanced. This car is not balanced. Any car you jump off of a anything, uh, it's going to go nose first into whatever right uh, whatever it does. So the most of the weight of these vehicles is in the engine. Right. There's yeah. no, almost no weight. Everything else is just aluminum and plastic behind that. But the, the engine block is the heaviest thing by far. So when that thing stops, you know, really does the back of the car have enough momentum to drive it over to flip over on its roof? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Fair. I, I thought it looked like it did to me, 
but I understand, you know, all the weight's now down, and so it might just stop. But the eye test for me is that that car was going to roll over. Uh, whether it would in reality, okay, fine, I can I can buy that this maybe wasn't as terrible as the van from the main show. I still thought it was pretty bad, though. It was, uh, I didn't have a problem with the uh, the physics of the van, per se. I, the two problems I had were switching camera ag- angles so drastically uh, three times, and then, or twice at least, yep. and then having the, the differences in terrain from the three different shots is just, Come on. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I, I, I hear you. That's that's enough, I think, to make it just super sketchy. You know, anyways. Um, so they land, and honestly, everything from here on in the episode I thought was so stupid that I almost don't even want to talk about it, but uh, we, we do have to. And so, so what happens? They're stuck in this car, and... They they end up uh, bonding in this car because they're they're just in there and they're talking, and they also realize that one of the nuclear warheads that didn't explode is just laying there on the ground beside them, which I guess is why this is the safe zone because it never actually exploded. Um, that was lucky. Yeah, you know, if, you're gonna, if you're gonna roll your car or jump your car off a cliff, uh, you know. Landing right next to an unexploded <laughs> nuclear warhead. That's pretty lucky. It's certainly lucky, luckier than landing right on it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. So uh, there but it then is. But again, you landing on a nuclear warhead is not going to make it explode, right? There's been explosions around nuclear warheads that don't, ideally don't make them explode. They have to explode. There has to be explosions in a very specific way. Okay. In order for them to, uh, to detonate. Fair enough. But uh, either way, I mean... There it is, and apparently it's, it's cracked open. That's it's le- bad. leaking radiation. Yeah, that's that's what we're uh, we're told. Um, and uh, so <laughs> they they decide to fight their way out because you know no one's going to save them. She tries to radio Morgan, right, but he doesn't respond. Um, things start looking bad. It's it's nighttime now. It feels more like there's radiation around them because we kind of get that haze that they're using to indicate the nuclear fallout everywhere else. Mm-hmm. Green haze. Green, greeny, yellow haze, yeah. So they're fighting their way out, and, you know, just when things are looking really bad, because there's lots of zombies around, that's what they're fighting. Just when things are looking really bad, Morgan shows up and fights Josiah. And the way this fight goes down is that Josiah almost kills Morgan with Emile's zombified head, which is what he was going to do. He was going to let the head bite Morgan. But instead, Rufus the dog gets bitten. So poor Rufus is now dying and they have to kill the dog. And the whole experience of that makes Josiah realize that he was wrong and he turns good. And the dog dies. Uh Uh-huh. So they they killed the dog, Jason. How did you feel about that? Uh, oddly enough, I didn't have a problem with it, and I'm not sure why. I mean, they Killing, didn't. They didn't. Nobody maliciously killed the dog in yeah. order to get back at somebody. You know, that's 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 the difference. That's what I was going to say. That's right. The dog wasn't killed out of anger. The dog was kind of killed by accident. I thought it still sucked, though. Like. <sighs> Yeah, you don't want to kill a good bloodhound. No, you don't want to. Especially one that has fucking smeldar that can smell things up beyond the horizon. That's like a bloodhound superpower right there. So it's kind of a bummer. But they use the death of the dog to push uh, Josiah from 
you know, the dark side to the light side. And was the for, dog's name Martha? What was the dog's name? It was Rufus. It was Rufus. Okay, so you might as well have been Martha. Well, <laughs> there we, we, okay, why? Why was it, why might as well was be Martha? Superman, Batman, oh. uh, Martha. <laughs> okay, sure, yeah. <laughs> you mean your mom's name, Martha? Yeah. <laughs> you mean your dog's name, Rufus? My dog's name, Rufus. It's our dog. Yeah, well, him, they both owned the dog at one point or both cared for the dog at one point. Uh, so that's it. That's what, um, that's what turns Josiah around, uh, as they're coming together as a team. Uh, another thing that I thought was really bad was Sarah tells this story about, um, about being a premature baby and she's in the hospital and she was having trouble breathing. And the only time she would breathe properly was when baby Wendell was beside her. He was there in the same hospital and this is where they first encountered each other. And I just think it was the dumbest story to tell us why Wendell is her reason to like go on and why, you know, re- Wendell is her raison d'etre for to continue to live and, and stuff like that. And I'm like, that's fine. You know, that's there's no reason he can't be that important to her or they can't be that important to each other. But this story just feels felt so stupid to me. I'm like, you couldn't come up with something better than that. Like even no story, in my opinion, would have been better. It's just like we've known each other since we were children, since we were babies. We grew up together. We've we've learned to navigate this world together. And I can't let him go. I need to find him like that just seems more plausible to me than I only breathed as a newborn when I was beside this other baby in the hospital. Like it's. They're trying to pull at the heart, heartstrings, and I'm just not having any of it. What happened to you that made your heart so hard? <laughs> I don't know. It's not that. <laughs> it's just that if I'm going to be, you know, if, if I'm going to be emotional about something, it's got to at least make sense. I, don't, I just don't even feel like this makes sense. Uh, no, it, of course it doesn't make sense. But, uh, you know, it's a, I thought it was a nice story that they were born at the same time and uh, they just, they got this, uh, their parents were bonded by this more than them at the time, right? Cause they don't know shit. Right. They're just babies, right? They don't have a lot of, uh, experience with, uh, visual or audio or even air input. Right. Right. So, uh, it's just, it's a coincidence that these two babies went together. She was able to breathe properly and the parents bonded over this and they stayed together. The parents knew each other. Cause you know, if it was just the two of them babies, uh, they wouldn't have spent their entire lives together, right? So it was their parents that bonded over this. Okay, well, couldn't they have framed the story like that then? Or couldn't the writers, I mean, have framed the story like that? And Absolutely. Maybe I didn't, you know, maybe I'm, I should have taken it that way, but I feel like they could have written it better. And, uh, you know, she doesn't, she implies that she legitimately only would breathe because he was there. But if... If it had been, if she told the story like, you know, something like, I have no, I don't think that had anything to do with it, but our parents saw us together and knew we could never be apart. Like that would be less stupid to me. So. It could be. I mean, it, it, I had a joke with uh, the, this woman or person I knew in high school, Regina. Uh, we had a joke that we were twins. We just had different mothers because it's possible to be twins and have different fathers, right? It, it's technically possible two different, yes. uh, you know, sperms from two different donors uh, impregnate two different eggs at the same time and you're fraternal twins. So we were joking around that we were fraternal twins, but we just had different moms. So the, this kind <laughs> of, 
reminded me of that. And, uh, you know, just to put a, you know, a really sad point on it. She eventually, uh, after high school, joined the military. Uh, she was in a truck that hit a bump, threw her at the back of the truck, and she died. Oh, Jesus. I'm sorry. So, that, yeah. So, it just reminded me of that joke we had in high school, and she's dead now. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe it uh, maybe it hit me a little bit more, but uh, I didn't think it was a horrible story. Okay, well, that's fair. I did, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, you maybe you take out of it what you bring into it, and maybe I just brought nothing to it and didn't do the work, but it didn't work for me. I think it could have just been crafted better from a writing perspective. Well, anything could be crafted better if you for, almost anything. The writing maybe. in the show is inconsistent. It has been for years. So, uh, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to knock them on every turn. Right. For me, I don't know what it is. I yeah. don't, why am I being an apologist? I have no idea, but, uh, it didn't strike me as something I raged against. Okay. Well, what, what the about- The fact that they were in planet hell at this point, they were obviously on a soundstage, uh, with a fake fucking fire. Uh, th- that fire was not there in case you were wondering. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> it, was pu- it was put in post. Uh, the whole set. It was just complete garbage. That kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, I understand the need for it, but we've moved beyond 1980s uh, Star Trek, the next generation. Uh, can we do, we can do better. Look at the Mandalorian. That was all done on a soundstage and the quality of those sets were uh, absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, and they're, true. You know, they're, uh, they're breaking ground on new technology to do it. It's like, well, we know how that technology works now. Put it to good use here, folks. Don't just build a tree and uh, fill the background with green smoke and, uh, you know, say, hey, we need to have a campfire here. It's like, no, fire regulations. We're inside. We can't have a campfire. Uh, Fine. We'll just put it in post. You know, it just, it makes me sad. Yeah. No, I hear you. I mean, it's a good comparison, the Mandalorian. It all looked so great. I mean, for the most part. And it was all done on this uh, super high-tech soundstage. But I guess AMC is not Disney. Disney's got all the money. AMC is just... Uh, yeah, they don't have Mandalorian money, that's for sure. I guess not. AMC is kind of peddling mediocrity here in a way, right? Like, we'll just make this just good enough to get by on TV. And, so sit uh, in the truck and have a conversation. You know, you don't need to be outside of the campfire. You know, if, you, yeah. if you're limited by your locations based on your budget... You know, uh, you're writing the story yourselves, right? You're not stuck with this location. Like, it's not written in stone anywhere that you have to be outside of the campfire. That's uh, true. Change locations a little bit. Everybody's sitting in a tent. Fine. <laughs> Fine. Yeah, there could have been a tent in that truck. I believe that. You know, why not? Yeah. So it's that's the only real truck. problem I had with this. Yeah, all right. Well, what happens now is they they go to Strand's Tower. Morgan takes them there. And now I started thinking, boy, Texas certainly feels huge when they want it to feel huge and tiny when they want it to feel tiny. Because not only did Morgan show up here, I know it took him a little while, but like in the Morgan and Grace episode, it was a big deal about how far could they get in in six hours and they couldn't get very far. Now, to be fair, the car broke down. But now Morgan can just come from the sub all the way to this safe zone, which has to be pretty far away, apparently on foot. 
And now they're like, we're just going to go see Strand. I mean, how far can he possibly be away? We're just going to walk there, you know? Well, Texas is not that big, right? It's one of the smallest states. Uh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. It's 40, think... 40, 45 square kilometers, something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's tiny. It's tiny. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Ontario. It's uh, You have to drive for like 20 hours to get out of the state sometimes. My God, man. <laughs> Ontario is huge. Texas is huge. Yeah, it takes 20. If you need to go out west, it takes 24 hours of driving from here to get out of the province. I know. It's, it's wild. It's a long way. Uh, Texas is that big. To, to like, get out of the absolutely pro- massive. You should say to get out of the province without leaving Canada. If you go into the US, you can get there and Oh no, you, pretty you quick. turn turn left and you're uh, you're right out of the you're right out of the country. Right. But you if you want to get out of the province going out west, like if you don't want don't want to leave the country cuz it's actually faster to go through the states mm-hmm. if you want to go out west, but if you want to stay in the country, it takes a long long time to get out of this province. Yes, it very much does. Well, it doesn't take them very long to get to Strand's Tower because cut and we're there, basically. Uh, Seems like no time has passed, except that it's light now. And so they walk up to this, like, Strand phone booth that I guess he's set up on a platform outside the tower, which, you know, I thought was dumb, but this is the kind of thing I I don't care about. Uh, They try to call him, but Strand comes out to talk to them at gunpoint, of course. He brings Howard and somebody else out there. It's uh, it's one of those things where if the camera doesn't see it, neither do the actors or neither do the, the characters because uh, they walked up onto this platform that had a pretty good view of uh, a couple of hundred meters in any direction. Yeah, wide open space. And it so was they- absolutely yeah, it was it was huge. Like where where was were they hiding? Was Strand hiding under the platform? Maybe maybe there's a tunnel uh, and he just popped out of a tunnel somewhere. Maybe he parachuted in. Maybe yeah. Maybe Why he not? flew in like Mary fucking Poppins. <laughs> Is he cool? <laughs> uh, oh, Michael Rooker. Yeah. We need him back on this show. Or not this show, but the other show. Oh, I, I don't, don't care know. if he's dead. I feel like uh uh I feel feel like Merle would fit in on fear at this point for some reason. If they brought him back out of nowhere, why not? He's dead. They can't do that. You can have a twin. I mean, we had a twin in this uh oh, yeah. uh, in this show replacing a character with yeah. the, the same motivation. Yeah, why not? Uh, why? Yeah, I think uh, I think Merle could have very much have a twin. I think it'd be great. Well, I mean, you'd think Daryl would have mentioned that, but maybe not. Ah, you could retcon that in. No of problem. course. So Strand, especially if he shows up on Fear, right? If he shows up in the main show, then they got to explain it, right? If, if he shows up on here, he's just oh fuck, they had a twin brother. Wow, Jesus, <laughs> didn't even know. Long lost twin. Crazy. Maybe they had different mothers. Who knows? Who, who knows? Uh, Strand shows up out of nowhere. He reveals that Wendell is in fact inside the tower. Great. Amazing. They can be together again. Is he telling the truth, you think? Well, you know, who the hell knows? But what he does say is that you can't come in, Sarah, because you don't make the cut. And apparently that's related to her not supporting his plan for the, in the sub or what he did in the sub. But yet she was out on the hill, right? Watching from the outside. So I don't know how that has anything to do with anything, but that's Strand's reasoning. And he says, yeah, I'll let Wendell come out. But then I won't let him back in. So it's your call, Sarah. Do you want to bring him out here and put him at danger or never see him again and uh, keep him safe in in my tower? And she ultimately decides that Wendell should stay in and she can stay out and never see him again. And I'm just like, this feels unnecessarily mean. Like it's, it's kind of turning strand already into this 
cartoonishly evil villain. And to be honest, I can handle a bit of cartoon evil. Like, that's fine. But do they really need to to make Strand even more wacky evil than he already has sort of become? I don't know. Well, I think he's probably going to graduate to a tri-corner hat pretty soon. Like mm-hmm. this, uh, this, uh, this cap that he's got on is, uh, is, is a smart looking cap and he's got this whole persona going on. So yeah. I'm pretty sure he's going to go full fucking Napoleonic war, uh, tri-corner hat. Uh, I don't know if they had the straight hats. It was, I don't even know, whatever. Tri-corner hats are awesome. If I could get away with wearing one, I probably would because I love them so much. Not many people can though. I don't think. <laughs> yeah. So I think Strand might go that way. I, might, I think he might switch switch up uniforms, something with more buttons mm-hmm. and a tri-corner hat. That's what I think is going to happen. Well, I but think- He is kind of getting cartoony evil. Yeah. And I don't know if he's really in the in the tower. I think he's fucking with her. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know either. But then what's the point of that? Like, why would Strand, why would he do that? Like, he even says what Wendell's job is in there, uh, supply chain management, I think. Like, why, why make all this up? Why not just say, no, he's not here. Keep looking. I'm not letting you in. So that doesn't seem to affect anything. But I think maybe with Strand, what we have to do is we have to think, uh, as far as uh, we have to put ourselves in Strand's uh, mind and think of what's the most evil fucked up thing I can do in this situation. And he's going to do it. So right. if Wendell's not there, the most evil fucked up thing he can do is torture her uh, with, uh, you know, making Sophie's choice there. Uh, you know, whether if he comes out, he stays out. If he comes in, if he stays in, then you never see him again. You know, it's an evil choice. Sure. It's, uh, it's just, it, the whole point is to cause pain. Uh, and so if she chooses for him to come out, then he goes in and nothing happens, right? And she just sits there in anticipation uh, and Strand still fucking wins because he's torturing her. Right. So, but, but like, how does that, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like if he's doing that, he's obviously only doing it to the people that aren't invited in because if he was doing that to the people inside his little tower community, you don't think they would, um, stick with him very long. They'd catch on to his, uh, you know, catch on to his ways and, and be like, what are we doing with this guy? He's not very good for us, but I don't know from, I, I was like, it's just, it's cartoonishly evil and it's the show manufacturing drama and sadness for Sarah, the character of Sarah in that moment, which there already is kind of enough of if she never gets to see him again. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, it didn't feel, it didn't ring true. It didn't feel real to me. And, I almost couldn't take anything in this this episode seriously, and this was just kind of the cherry on top, I think. I'm going to give you some homework. Okay. Okay. I need you, what I need you to do is I'm going to send you a link uh, to a YouTube video that describes the uh, uh, the historical, uh, <laughs> it's a review of the movie Stalin, and it's, uh, the Stalin was a comedy from a few years ago. Uh, about the death of Joseph Stalin, uh, but uh, it has a lot of historical truths in it, even though it's a comedy. And uh, it's a history buffs, YouTube video history buffs on Stalin. I need you to see that. Just, I think that uh, when I when I look at somebody like Strand, who is just 
his entire point of his, his, his existence is that he's mad and he wants to fuck shit up. Uh, but he thinks he's doing the right thing, but he's doing it in the most fucked up way possible. Uh, I think of Joseph Stalin. Uh, and just everybody around him was absolutely terrified of him because he was a fucking madman. But they didn't do anything to stop him because they couldn't rise up uh, individually. He kept them on such on uh, so much on their back feet that they couldn't collect themselves, and they were so at each other's throats as well that uh, nobody could get together enough to overthrow Stalin. And when he died, that's when things started to really get messed up. Okay, is this movie you're talking about called The Death of Stalin with Steve the Buscemi, Death of Stalin. Jeffrey yeah. Jeffrey Tambor? Uh, Patty Considine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'd watch I haven't that. seen the movie, but I watched the review of the movie and I so want to see the movie now. I thought it was just kind of weird. It's like, okay, the death of Stalin, but it's a comedy, but it's got Jeffrey Tambor in it. Uh, so I was kind of on the fence for a long time, but, uh, I think after watching this review and seeing how historically accurate it is, even the friggin' bickering that they're all standing around Stalin's friggin' casket and they're bickering like fucking schoolgirls. Uh, the whole time right. for hours. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's just, it's funny, but it's also very, very true. Right. Okay. Well, that sounds fun. I'll watch both so, maybe. Uh, so maybe he is torturing everybody inside. Maybe sure. Strand is torturing everybody inside because historically that kind of shit has happened before. And I guess kind of works depending on what your ultimate goal is. Well, yeah. Well, nobody throws, th- overthrows them. Right. right. It's just, right. Uh, you know, it doesn't work. I mean, Stalin was responsible for the death of millions of people and, and you know, f- fucking famine and all kinds of fucked up shit. But right. uh, nobody decided, like, this guy's crazy. We got to get rid of him. Like, it did not happen. Uh, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. He died. He, oh, sorry, he collapsed on the floor. Uh-huh. And there's two guards standing outside the door, heard the thump and heard him moaning and did nothing because they were afraid of leave, leaving their post for a day. <laughs> Man. <laughs> if we leave our post, you know, we're, yeah, we're going like, to be killed. Sh- even though- Should we go in there and, uh, you know, find out if he's okay? It's like, what are you, fucking crazy? You're nuts. Don't move. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'll check that out maybe. But on top of all this, Jason, we didn't even get to see Wendell. Wendell does not appear in this episode. And- it's clear to me that they've just written him off the show and, uh, but <laughs> without killing him, right? They've written him off yeah. the show. He's not dead and we're just never going to see him again. Wendell's a myth. There is no Wendell. There is no Wendell. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, so the only other thing that happens in this episode is at the very end, it's revealed that the stalkers have gone and picked up the unexploded warhead that, uh, was sitting there on the ground beside where they crashed the truck and one of them says to another, we've got the thing that is going to get us exactly what we want. Well, thanks, guys. That tells us absolutely nothing. But I also started thinking, oh, my God, come on, showrunners and writers. Look, you, ha- you know, I was thinking you had fun playing around with the nuclear apocalypse. You blew up all your nukes. You got what you wanted. Give it a freaking rest. Move on from the nukes. To me, the fact that there's still an unexploded nuclear weapon that's a threat out there just is driving me crazy. Like, I I hate it. I want them to move on. Fine, we're living in this nuclear fallout world now. That's fine, and we're dealing with it. But Jesus, if they blow up another nuke, I'm going to be like, come up with something new, guys, because 
this seems so stupid. No, it's got to be a dirty bomb, right? They can't, you, you can't blow up the nuke. I mean, you can blow it up uh, and then spread the nuclear material around, uh, but not a nuclear detonation. Well, it better not be because that's going to be so dumb. But I also just don't want them to even use it as a plot device anymore. You know, the threat of nuclear radiation. We've had enough. We've, you had your fun. Now do something else is yeah. the way I feel about it. <laughs> so. Yeah. And, you know, a bunch of uh, uh, people that have a nuclear warhead that uh, they could do whatever they want with is kind of a scary proposition. It It's scary, all right. You know, and had had this been the only nuclear warhead on the show and it fell into the hands of these people, you know, fine, that'd be okay. Yeah. But I'm just feeling like we got to move on from the nukes, folks, but yeah. not yet, and, not and, yet. And think of it this way, after the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, uh, they haven't accounted for all of the nukes. Uh, there's still some that uh, they don't really know what happened to them. Well, so. let's hope that they don't fall into the hands of the stalkers. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, we just so let that uh, seep in while you try and fall asleep tonight. Oh, great, great. I'll do that. <laughs> All right, well, before we move on here, I do have a call from listener Owen, who I think has a slightly different opinion on the episode. So let's hear that before we get into World Beyond. All right, fellas. Owen from Leeds, England here. Um, so I watched episode four of um, Fear. Uh, last night. And I must say, I thought it was a very good episode. Um, I quite like that Sarah as a character. And I was really not looking forward to the new, um, the new same villain from episode one of season, is it season five now? I think we're in season six, aren't we? God. Season seven. Bloody hell. It's going by. Um, the dude who was the, um, sort of the hired gun who was trying to kill Morgan Jones, so his twin brother turns up. When he turned up at the end of the other episode, it felt a bit like bad soap opera. But the way they did his character arc in this episode, I thought was great. You know, he starts off as exactly what we'd expect, just, I'm going to kill Morgan, yada, yada, yada. And then by the end of it, you really like the guy. You feel bad for the fact that you know, the dog sadly died, you know. At least it wasn't a horse this time. And he basically had to deal with that, but it got him back on a good path. And I'm sure we'll see him again come to the rescue as a white knight at some point. Okay, guys, hope you're well. Stay safe. ta for now. Thank you, Owen. The only thing I agree with there is that, yes, at least it wasn't a horse this time. Uh, uh, wrong show. I know, but Walking Dead Universe. So, you know, yeah. they didn't kill a horse. They killed the dog. I, I, I'm I, just not on board with uh, Josiah's character arc being really all that interesting. Like, it could be interesting, but it just felt like it was one and done so fast. It was over so quickly. I, I was left thinking, what was the point? You know, why put this in here? What? He was used to draw Morgan in but like if Sarah was on the radio anyways Morgan would have just heard her and come so and he did and he did right? exactly that all happened before she met up with him yeah uh you know Morgan was on the was on the horn he was uh he was involved yeah we didn't need him at all we didn't need him at all and it just seemed like padding and, and filler so I, I don't really know what the point of it all was 
but hey, Owen, I'm glad you liked it. And um, uh, I hope people out there don't think I'm being too hard on this, but I really didn't enjoy this one at all. And I hope fear can get back on track uh, for whatever track it was on at the beginning anyways, because my understanding is in general, people are not enjoying this show and this season at all, but I was. So who knows? Who knows? I think, Chris, your heart has blackened and shriveled. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what happened to you, but uh, sad to see. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll try to do better. I'll try to change back to whatever I was before. What you need is uh, you need to go down to all the Who's in Whoville and uh, listen to them singing Yahoo Dore for a while. Uh, and that way your heart can grow three sizes. Uh, you know what? That would be nice. Maybe, uh, maybe all I need is, is the holiday season to be upon me, right? Maybe all I need is a little bit of Christmas and yeah, my heart will grow three sizes. Yeah. We'll see. Excellent. All right. So what that means is I, I got to go on vacation now and just ride it in through the holidays and start fresh in the new year. That'd be great. Just don't go to work anymore. Yeah. Just, just, just stop. You don't have to tell them. They'll figure it out eventually. Oh yeah, sure. And then one day my kids will ask me, dad, do you even have a job anymore? And I know I can answer like Homer. I think it's obvious that I don't <laughs> I think that's what he said. I, uh, I do not have a job and therefore you're going to have to get one. <laughs> yeah. You're 14 now. Time to start working. <laughs> All right. Well, that's fear of the walking dead. Uh, season seven, episode four, in my opinion, a giant disaster. So let's hope next week is better. Now, this is shaping up to be a solid podcast because we still plan on talking about World Beyond episode two. I mean, episode five and six of season two. Episode five is called Quarter Voix, Qu Quarter Voice. Qu <laughs> I don't know. I didn't. Whatever. I didn't go Qua looking for Quatre it. Quatre Quatre Voy. Quatre Voy. I don't know. This one aired back on Halloween night, October 31st. So we're going back uh, a week for this one. But um, Elton, Iris, and Felix, and everybody, they have developed a plan to get into the CRM to get Hope and Leo out. Now, first, they have to go visit Silas and explain how he can help them. But the plan is to surrender themselves to the CRM, get Hope and Leo, then escape through the detritus terminal where Silas is going to meet them with a truck. And, uh, you know, this means that Silas has to get Dennis's truck somehow and his keycard access. But basically, if he can do that, he's going to meet them and they're all going to pile in the truck and they're going to flee west to Portland and hopefully safety. Sounds like a solid plan. Solid, solid plan. Totally. And now, you know what happens if uh, if you if they tell the plan to the audience, it never works. Never if works. They out. Don't tell the plan to the audience. It always works. Well, they told us the plan here in in no uncertain terms. The only thing that was a bit of a wild card in the plan is Percy, who wasn't supposed to go, but then as they're on their way, he catches up with them wearing Elton's jacket, the uh, toughy stuff jacket, which cannot be bitten through. You know what I, you know what occurred to me? What's that? Uh, I have a couch in my living room that has almost that exact same corduroy yellow pattern. Have you tried biting through it? I have not tried biting through it, uh, but it, uh, it's freaking me out a little bit. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> I'm thinking we need to get the couch recovered now. I don't know. I think you should hang on to it because in the zombie apocalypse, you can tear the couch apart and put it all over your body and you'll be safe. Well, the, any couch would work. I mean- 
the human bite is not very powerful and we don't have like really sharp canines that rip through yeah. anything we bite into. It's <laughs> like we have to fucking burn our food pretty good yep. in order to uh, be able to chew it up. Yeah, fair. So I'm not overly worried about that. I mean, a couple of sheets of paper and you're probably okay. All right. Well, fine. And in, in that case, I still think it's fun that you have a couch that's made out of the same stuff that Elton wears. Yeah, you remember the uh, the cardboard army, uh, cardboard armor from Murder Party? Yes, movie years called Murder ago? Party. Yep, yep, that would work. That would be fine. I think that would be fine in the zombie apocalypse. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure I could bite directly through most cardboard. I mean, maybe, but I don't know. Yeah, the next time you get a package from Amazon, I'll try getting into it that way. I'll try eating it and see what happens. Yeah, yeah just just you know, only use your fingers and your teeth and see how quickly you can open that Amazon package. Yeah, no problem. I can do that. <laughs> so some tape and cardboard, and that's uh, armor. Yeah, why not? Well, anyways, so Elton, uh, no, Percy is wearing Elton's armor jacket, and he shows up, and he's going to go with them and pose as Elton. And I'm not 100% clear on, on why he thinks this is a great idea. Is it just to cause confusion inside the CRM? No, he wants revenge. He wants personal revenge. Well, I know he wants personal revenge. He wants to get in there and, and kill Huck. But why does he have to pretend he's somebody else? Like, uh, like I, 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 I feel like there probably is a reason. Like, somebody knows him, but he's just, he still looks like him. He's just pretending to be Elton. I don't know. It seemed weird. Yeah. Well, why do anything if uh, uh, you can't have a disguise? <laughs> right. It's more fun with a disguise. Why not? It's more fun with a persona and a disguise. Yeah, yeah, of course. And a backstory. You got to make up a backstory. Uh, yes, exactly. Um, so that's the plan. And they are more or less going to try and execute this plan. Now, uh, you know, inside the CRM, so they it, there's some things going on. First of all, uh, they do get in. They get taken in by the CRM soldiers, and they're they're put in this holding room at first, anyways. But once they're in there, Jason, it it kind of reminded me a little bit of how Princess and Ezekiel and everybody were inside the Commonwealth, and you know, one minute they're in like a, a holding cell inside um, chain link fences and stuff, yet. On another minute, it seems like they're able to just kind of walk around the place and have mm -hmm. free reign of the place. Um, this reminded me of that a little bit. Uh, I, I did feel like they were more restricted inside the CRM at first, inside the research facility. But once they were kind of in, they're not really prisoners. They're just sort of allowed to go and hang out and be reunited with everybody. And I guess that's okay. I mean, they're not really holding them prisoner. They're yeah, sort of once you're in, you're in, right? processing them. They're bringing them in. Yeah, I guess so. Well, it's 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 like uh, it's like any bureaucracy, right? You have to go through the process, and once you've gone through the process, nobody gives a shit. Like once the once the file is closed, it's closed. They're not going to reopen it just willy nilly. Yeah. So once uh, once they've determined that they're in, they're in. Fuck it. You know, the, the file is closed. The bureaucracy has gone through their red tape mm -hmm. and uh, nobody gives a shit anymore. Uh, nobody gives a shit. Yeah, I guess not. Well, that, so that they're in and they're doing their thing. Now, Huck has got all kinds of stuff going on here as well. Uh, she has become, as we know, super suspicious about 
what might have really happened with the campus colony and Omaha. And so, so she goes, uh, she goes searching her mother's office, uh, Elizabeth Kublik's office. And she finds, she unlocks a safe and finds a bunch of letters and a field log of transmissions and seems to get very upset. So we don't know immediately what's going on there, but later in the episode, she takes this all to Leo and says that these logs indicate that the CRM brought the empties or the zombies to Omaha and that the people there were being used for research. And she asks for Leo's help to find out what's going on and to stop it. So, I mean, that doesn't tell us a lot that we didn't already know, I guess, but it's interesting that Huck is finding this out. So I was speculating the other week about kind of Huck being in between in the middle here and which side was she going to fall on. And so clearly she's falling off the fence onto the side of you know, our sort of hero characters, not the CRM side of things. Did you, did you have a doubt? Well, I mean, the, the bonds of family can be strong and her mother is the one who is leading up this CRM right now. Right. At least was at the time. So I thought I, I wasn't, I didn't really doubt that she'd go the other way, but you never know. I mean, it, it's not, I think outside the realm of possibility for her to, to go with her mother and and go that way. Mother resentment is pretty strong too. In I some suppose. Cases. I suppose it can be, yeah. But uh, I don't know. I I mean, you're right. I didn't really have that much of a doubt that she'd go this way, but I wasn't sure. I wasn't 100 percent sure. And when she was breaking into that safe, yeah. Uh, here here's a safe cracking tip for you. You want a safe cracking tip? Yep. If you're trying to break into an electronic safe that has uh, basically when you punch in a code. Uh, there's uh, a, a solenoid that retracts bolts in order to uh, open the safe. Uh, you can open those with a big fucking magnet. You just uh, walk up to it with a sufficiently powerful magnet, and if you put it in the right place, the solenoid will retract and you just open a goddamn door. You don't need anything else. It's faster. It's faster than entering the comp- uh, combination. Well, it seems like a pretty poor safe design then. Yeah, it's like uh, any, and just so you know, you know those Century safes that you see at Home Depot and Staples all the time? Yeah. In Canada? Yeah. Don't buy those. Those are exactly the ones that you can open with a fucking magnet. Sure. I mean, are the magnets easy to come by? I bought two on Amazon. (laughs) Great. Is it because you lost the key to your safe? (laughs) No, I don't have a Century safe because I don't trust them anymore. And they're also made mostly of uh, uh, really thin steel and uh, fucking foam. Sure. the entire purpose of those things is to keep your stuff safe in the event of a fire. Yeah. So uh, just get a firebox instead of uh, a safe because you can open them with a with a, a goddamn skill saw or a magnet. And I bought the magnet. It only cost me like twenty five bucks. Uh, you just you just throw the magnet on the thing and it opens right up. Great. Well, most, then- most of those security doors uh, also where you swipe your card and the door unlocks. You can open those with a magnet too. Well, good. I'm going to start carrying around a magnet and let myself into all sorts of restricted places. Be careful. Those magnets are more dangerous than, uh, than they're, they're little tiny bombs. Uh, if you lose control of them, they will shatter into a million pieces and uh, poke out your eyes. Eesh. So uh, be mindful of those magnets. You but, need to get a safe to keep your magnet in. It sounds dangerous. Yeah, I got to keep my magnet in the safe. Yeah, get a I magnet need a, safe. a magnet to get into the safe. Right. <laughs> this, this is going to be hard. Very confusing. Well, um, 
So, I mean, Huck has obviously gone one way. She's totally suspicious. She's found all these transmissions. Uh, the other thing that she does in this episode has, is have lunch with her, her mom. And what I thought was interesting here was that Elizabeth mentions she has to leave on official business with Major General Beale, this person, again, that we haven't seen yet. Um, but she also says this thing about she's doing all this excruciatingly hard work to protect the world from itself. And I felt like this was a bit of insight into her mentality and sort of the approach that the CRM overall is taking. It's like, we know better, you know, if we just let you, everybody out there do things on your own or even other big colonies, you'd screw it all up. So we have to eliminate you to keep, you know, to save the world because our way or the highway, we know best kind of thing. And that feels like that's what the CRM is all about. Yeah. And the Catholic church from uh, a thousand years ago, they wouldn't let the masses learn Latin and all the, uh, uh, the Bible was in Latin, written in Latin and all the, uh, the masses were in Latin. Yeah. So, uh, because they didn't want people to know what was going on in the Bible. Any information about religion came from the priests and they didn't want anybody else to know anything. Right. And they could say whatever they wanted. Well, okay, so then this leads into something else we learned in this episode about the CRM, and there's a shot of a newspaper with some headlines and articles and stuff like that, and one of them is about how there was supposed to be civilian oversight of the community after 10 years. So the military was running things for the first 10 years, and then proper civilian oversight was going to kick in, but the... Um, CRM requested an emergency delay of that for some reason. And now there's some tension between the civilian government that's pushing for it and the military, which wants to retain, I mean, power, I guess, over the governance of this community. And apparently it was part of something called the founding compact, which I, I caught from the newspaper. So I don't know, just fun bit of information there, I thought, and that fits into you know, I think what Kublik was saying there about uh, protect the world from itself. Only we know how to do this. And so we need to retain power and not just give it to the people because they're going to screw it all up. Yeah. And that's exactly the same thing that Julius Caesar did as well as the uh, the emperor did in the Galactic Empire in Star Wars. Uh, you know, manufacture a military conflict and then uh, use that as a basis for uh, invoke emergency powers in order to, uh, oh, oh, and the Nazis. Uh, them too. Uh, <laughs> so, so they don't have a good track record for uh, military organizations or militaristic organizations that yep. uh, tend to, uh, we need, we don't want to do this, but we need to take emergency measures in order to safeguard uh, the people from this threat. Uh, so we're going to have to dissolve the, uh, the civilian government for just for a little while though. Don't worry. Don't worry. Yeah. We'll let, we'll, uh, everything will go back to normal pretty soon. I promise. Yeah. Don't worry about it. We're all nothing to see here. You'll be fine. Everything will be good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's, what's going on there. And, you know, I, I, I bring this up because one of the points of this show for me, and I think for a lot of people is just how, how all of this plays into the greater world, the greater walking dead universe a little bit. And, if the CRM is going to have any influence on other shows or other storylines or whatever, then this kind of insight to how they operate, I think, is important. 
Now, um, one more thing, the science, they're all about doing science at this research facility. Um, and we do get a bit more information about that in this episode when Hope goes to see her dad in the lab and the other scientists are there. And they basically confirm that Hope's yeast theory, and they say combine that with Leo's work on everything he's been doing, they've, they've confirmed that this should or will accelerate the decomposition of the dead, therefore rendering them um, not uh, a threat anymore. They, they will be neutralized as a threat, I think is what they said, because they'll decompose so quickly they won't be able to like get up back up and, and eat you. Uh, or maybe the right. brain function will stop working because the brain deteriorates or something like that. But that's kind of what they're going for. They're not looking to cure it. They are looking to simply neutralize the dead as a threat. And I found that interesting. Uh, I don't think it's going to work ultimately because, you know, you can't have a Walking Dead universe without Walking Dead. But it's fun that they're trying. It also doesn't account for uh, everybody having the virus anyway. If you just die, you become a zombie, right? It, so it is. It gets rid of the, the dead, dead as a threat, but it doesn't take care of the virus. No, it doesn't. But it, it means like the virus doesn't kill you. It's just in there until you die and then you reanimate, right? So they don't care about the virus. They just care about not being, uh, the zombies not being a threat anymore. So that's what they're trying to, to work on. And when you think about it, it's kind of an interesting angle to take to solve this problem. I think... Uh, I think in in real life, people would really focus on trying to eliminate the virus. I mean, look where we are right now. We live in a, we're two years into a, a pandemic and we've come up with vaccines for it. You know, they're not working on a vaccine for the zombie virus. They're working to be like, okay, this is a thing. And we just want to make sure that when you become a zombie after you die, you aren't threatening to anybody else. Yeah, they're treating the symptoms rather than the cause. Fair enough. That's exactly what they're doing. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. I think it was Dave uh, years ago. Did he mention it on this show or was it on uh, a previous podcast that we did? But uh, I think he mentioned one time that it would be interesting to see what the uh, the death rituals are for humanity in a hundred years after the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Like we bury our dead, right? And we have uh, viewings uh, at funerals. And we go through all these various death rituals in order to, uh, that are common practice sure. nowadays. In a hundred years after the zombie apocalypse, I wonder what their funerals are going to look like. Everybody gets together and, uh, you know, mourns over the loss of a loved one. And then as they pass the casket that's open, they stab them in the head with the ceremonial knife, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. as part of the, uh, the, you know, saying goodbye. Right. Well, sounds it, right. It happened. Yeah. Sounds interesting. I think Dave mentioned that. It was years ago, and I don't remember where. He might have just said it to me personally or something like that, but uh, it would be interesting to see how the zombie apocalypse impacts funerals. Yeah, 100%. In, in 100 years. Totally. I fully, totally agree with that. That would be kind of fun. Uh, but here what they're doing is just still trying to get rid of it or trying to deal with uh, the fact that people all come back after they die. Uh, now the, this whole episode was in a way leading up to the scene that plays after the credits roll on this one. So could you call it an episode in that case or is it just a preamble? 
it's it's to... more of a preamble to the post credit scene, in my opinion, because uh, I hope you sat through the credits on this one, Jason, because there was a post credit scene, and this involves Lila, first of all. She comes into the office where they have all their test subjects because a new one has arrived. And it turns out that test subject is a guy named Barca. Now, he is the CRM soldier, if you recall, who came to Elizabeth in season one after being upset about his involvement in the massacre at the campus colony. And at the time, he was taken away uh, rather forcefully by some other CRM soldiers, and he was going to the CRM health and welfare complex. (laughs) Well, turns out he is now a test subject. So I don't know if uh, he bypassed the health and welfare complex or if this is the health and welfare complex. I don't know. But he's the guy. But the big deal here, of course, is that the one who delivers him to Lila is none other than Jadis mm-hmm. or Anne, as we knew her for a while, who, of course, was on the main show. And she says that Kublik is gone. We know she was going away with Beale and that Lila will be answering to her from now on, to Jadis from now on. Fun stuff. So there we go. So finally, Jadis has shown up. I knew this was coming. Well, everybody did if you're paying attention. AMC publicized it. It's another one of those examples where I don't understand what AMC is doing from a publicity department standpoint because if this was a secret and it was revealed, you know, in real time on the show... How much more exciting is that for viewers? Tons, tons more exciting is the answer, Jason. But they seem to like to ruin all their biggest surprises and publicize them ahead of time. Yeah, Dave ruined it for me. I was dropping off Jasper. Uh, uh, Dave is working at uh, the YMCA uh, more before and aftercare program that uh, where my son goes, yep. uh, oddly enough. And uh, so we were dropping him off and I say hi to Dave every day. And Dave uh, told me that he was uh, he was all caught up on the main show finally, and he was starting to watch World Beyond. And I said, "That's exciting." And he's like, uh, "I heard the Jadis shows up." I'm like, <laughs> "Oh, I hadn't heard that." Thanks. And I had to wait uh, a number of weeks in order for it to actually happen. Yeah. So thanks, I've, Dave, I've known this if, was coming. I don't for... think he's listening to the show, but well, if you are, thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave. I've known this was coming for a while, uh, but I was purposefully not telling you because I wanted to preserve that experience for you. I, and I try. I so try I by ignoring absolutely every publicity and every bit of content around The Walking Dead on the on the internet. I try, but uh, I can't avoid my friends. No, you can't avoid. Even though Dave. I want to, sometimes I just can't. Always, <laughs> not always. So that's too bad. I I thought it would have been fun to uh, get your reaction fresh to this, but. In any case, it's still exciting. Jadis, it's another character transition from one show to another. So that's kind of a big deal. But uh, we have to talk about the next episode to really get into her story or, you know, get some information about what she is doing. So um, just really quickly before we do that, I think this episode of World Beyond wasn't too bad uh, in the... Grand scheme, if you recall, I thought one and two of se- of this season were okay. Three and four, not so much. But this one moves a little back towards information about what the CRM is doing and their motivations and why they're doing stuff. Uh, so I was a little bit on board with it because that's what I want to see from this show. Not so much of the interpersonal, like, you know, relationships between all these teenagers. That's the part that doesn't work as well for me. 
Right. Um, and there is a little bit of that here still for sure, but not enough for me to worry about it too much. We got some CRM stuff and they introduced Jadis. So good times. World Beyond season two, episode six, it's called Who Are You? This one just aired the other day on November 7th and it starts with a flashback to the early days of Leo working at the research facility. He's out on a research expedition, they call it, with Lila and Will and some other members of the team. And uh, he's, at the time, really new. He's figuring it out. He's really excited to be there. And they encounter a zombie that has a geo-tracker on it. So I feel like that's new information, or if it's not, it's the first time we've seen one. They've got zombies out there that they are tracking their movements. And that's a hell of a geo-tracker. The thing was like, big. It's absolutely <laughs> massive. Yeah, it, it was giant. But I guess you're working with what you have in the, in, in the zombie apocalypse, I suppose. Yeah, I've been playing with the, uh, the new Apple AirTags, and uh, they're the size of an oversized button. Right. And uh, this guy had a fucking metal backpack and an antenna that stuck four feet in the air. It was fun. Yeah, no, that's fun. <laughs> I guess there's not too many iPhones kicking around. Not not uh, anymore, no. No, yeah, not anymore. AirTags use the iPhones to, uh, to, to, to locate. But uh, this one needs, uh, I guess, radio triangulation is what they used, used to use for, uh, and they tag birds and seals and otters and wolves and bears and things, they would uh, tag them with a radio collar. Right. Uh, and then they would have to triangulate their location in the woods. Well, same thing for zombies. I guess so. Yeah. That's what they're doing. Um, but we go back. Into or the- maybe, maybe, sorry, I'm going to step back because they, uh, they didn't know, they weren't looking for it, right? They said it's one of ours. It's got a geo tracker on it. Uh, so maybe it's not that they were using it to find where they are, but it's like, uh, it's like the, uh, the, the Google Earth backpackers that wander around that record trails. Sure. Just, it's, just, uh, it's just recording their location where they've been. And when they encounter it again, they download the data and they get a geo track of all the various, uh, you know, where it's been over the last month or whatever. To see if there's a pattern or something like that. Yeah. Okay. That makes more sense. All right. I can go with that. Why not? It's not really clear the, in the episode exactly what they're doing other than tracking it for some purpose. Yeah, I guess uh, the apocalypse, uh, apocalypse, zombie apocalypse happened before uh, the uh, the Google Earth or the uh, Street View backpackers became popular. So maybe they couldn't just find a, a Google backpack and throw it on a zombie, but uh, it might have been a good idea. C- kind of still managed to make their own though, the way it looks. Their own yeah, ver- their no, own version good. of it, yeah. That's, that's why you should put, uh, you know, if you get a dog and you take it out, you should put a, a geo tracker on your dog, uh, you know, and then track its movements. Uh, because when you go for a walk with a dog, it walks like three times farther than you do, no matter where you go. Because it's running back and forth and it's running away and coming back and then running here and running there. Man, dogs run a long way when you just go for a walk. I mean, if you keep it on a leash, it probably walks about the same distance you go. Well, yeah, I'm thinking, but if you go out and uh, you go for a hike and stuff and you, and your dog's trained enough that it can just start running around on its own. Oh yeah. Fair. Makes sense. (laughs) Good stuff. Same with kids too, I suppose. I guess so. Yeah. Some kids. All right. Anyways, we go back into the present and, uh, what do we learn? So Leo has taken the documents, uh, Huck found to everybody, um, 
those those transmissions and they realize that the CRM has used a chemical weapon to kill everybody in Omaha and the campus colonies and they just brought the zombies in to cover that up so this is pretty huge I think like it's a it's kind of a conspiracy in a way that the CRM has got going here like we're killing everyone with this chemical weapon but you know we're saying that they were overrun by zombies I mean I don't know if it's worse uh it's probably just as bad maybe it is worse I mean they still killed everybody so how they did it may not be important but the fact that they're they're just really actively doing it and uh there's this chemical weapon in existence that seems like it could be a really bad deal for everybody so that's like they're really killing a whole bunch of people on purpose right yeah like, that's what they're I'm saying. really they're really serious about you know murdering a whole a whole mess of people why would somebody want to do that like are they testing out uh possible solutions to the zombie apocalypse uh, and it didn't work. Like, is it, uh, it's like, well, okay, we, I think we have a formula for curing everybody. So we'll drop this crazy cure, uh, above the town or above the, uh, the university and it disperses around and everybody dies. And you're like, well, I guess that didn't work. Try formula six next time. Yeah. Let's try the next one. I mean, that's the thing. We don't really know. Like it is, it's a strange uh, juxtaposition here because on one hand they're doing this scientific research trying to find a way to neutralize the zombies now if that could all be a facade and have nothing to do with anything because on the other side of things they are actively killing people with this chemical weapon and it's it feels like it goes in line with um, what Kublik said about uh, wanting to uh, sort of be our way or the highway, right? You know, but, but man, it, I, I don't think there's any good behind what they're doing. Like there's no way they have something they think is a cure that they're testing and oops, we killed a hundred thousand people, you know? Uh, so it's weird. It's, it's, I find it very strange that they're doing this seemingly good scientific work and also murdering hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, I mean, that kind of shit's happened in the past too. Okay. Yeah, fine. But, uh, you know, maybe not on the scale, but, uh, you know, there was a, there was an outbreak of syphilis in uh, a, a town uh, and they told everybody that they would help them uh, treat uh, their symptoms. They didn't tell them it was syphilis, but they said, everybody's getting sick, but we're going to treat everybody. So they got free medical care for years mm -hmm. when in fact the doctors were not trying to treat them. They were just tracking the uh, progress of the syphilis ha as it spreads and, uh, deteriorates these, uh, human beings mm -hmm. uh, completely falsely. It's just evil shit like that has happened. That happened in the U S by the way, uh, back in the thirties uh, or something like that. It was fucked up. Yep. Uh, so, you know, that kind of shit has happened, but I don't know about, you know, a hundred thousand people, but then again, it's the zombie apocalypse. It's not like there's any goddamn laws, uh, you know, right. Uh, might makes right in this case. It's like, well, we have the strength, you know, somebody's going to bring us up on charges. I don't think so. Right. So who knows what they're doing? Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, Huck also reveals though, that the, the civic Republic has kept its location hidden she says even before the alliance with Omaha and Portland, like no one's ever really known where this place is. And her 
explanation for that is that they keep everything inside the borders at what she calls a statistical balance, resources, food, supplies, all those kind of things. And she says, as soon as you let more people in, it raises the potential for conflict because I guess the idea is you have enough food and you have enough resources for the number of people you have. If you let more people in, you need more food and you need more resources to support all of them. And if you can't do that immediately or if you don't have that immediately ready, there's potential for conflict. So they've stayed hidden so that people wouldn't find them, uh, wouldn't come there looking for shelter or, or help or anything like that. And so I'm wondering, like, the fact that they've, they've created this alliance Maybe the whole purpose of the alliance was to eliminate these other colonies of people because, well, they're big enough, they figure, that they might have the resources to find us and we don't want them to. So if we pretend we're their friends, we can then wipe them out like this and then they won't be any threat to us in the future. You know, it it very well could could be and that kind of thing has happened in the past as well, but it's a logical fallacy, right? Adding more people adds more prosperity, right? right? More hands make easier work, make shorter work, right? If you have 30 people and you need to raise a barn, uh, you know, it takes some time and you can do it. And if you have enough time and resources uh, and enough food and wood and whatever, you can raise that barn. You have 300 people, you get that barn up in a day, right? Right, And it's, uh, it, you know, if you double the number of people, it doesn't half the amount of time. It more than halves the the amount of time it takes to put up a barn. You know, uh, if you add 10 times the amount of people, it drops it like 100 times uh, the amount of time it would take to raise a barn. Because, you know, you get all those people together, it just, it makes more, hand, more sense to have more people. Uh, adding people to a community uh, raises prosperity. Uh I guess it does if you can manage it, but like if, if you add people to a community and you can't feed them all, it creates more hunger and poverty and things like that. So you get them growing crops. Yeah. It's hard to get that, you know, if you need to feed them more, you, you get you know, more hands to do more crop tendon. I guess. Or more cow tendon or raise more chickens or <laughs> whatever, what have you. Yeah. I guess. I don't know how to do any of that, but. If you can you manage know, it. So adding me to that community probably be a bad idea. Like, yeah, do you need any programming? I can do some programming for you. <laughs> if you add a whole bunch more Jasons, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, so you need the right people. And I guess they don't think of these other communities as the right people, but uh, that's their reasoning for staying hidden. And because of all of this, because they learn all of this, the group uh, of our, you know, heroes inside the research facility decide that they're going to throw the plan out the window. They're not going to go meet Silas uh, at the depot where he's with the truck. And um, so they they send this message with, that they promised to send to Elton, who of course is still outside over at the perimeter, that they are here, they're safe, they're going to find out exactly what the CRM is doing, make sure they can never do it again, and then, quote, burn this place to the ground. Sure. So they're not just going to escape and flee. They're going to try to take this place down. And uh, there you go. Um, now, a big exciting part of this episode is, of course, that Jadis is back. She came back at the end of the last one. And there are two conversations that Huck has with Jadis in this episode. And to me, 
fair and honest, I really kind of think these were the most fun parts of the episode, partly because we got to see Jadis. I think Pollyanna McIntosh did some great work here as this weird character. Well, her haircut says a lot, right? She's she's not just a Vulcan anymore. She's got this weird hair hat toque thing going on. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly what anybody was thinking in this situation, whether it be, you know, Jadis thinking, you know what I need for a hairstyle is this thing or the, uh, the friggin' hair and makeup department going, you know what Jadis needs for a haircut, this thing. Uh, and it just, it confuses me. It, okay. It, I don't understand her haircut. No, but it's, she kind of had a weird haircut all along, right? Back on the main show, she had a weird haircut. So I think this is just them doubling down on the weird haircut. This is a person who likes unusual hair. Well, if you're going to have a haircut, like Jadis has a haircut, you got to talk like uh, Jadis was when she was in charge of the garbage people. Sure. Uh, You know, that all makes perfect sense, right? But, you know, Jadis talking normally with this haircut, uh, it's breaking my brain. I don't get it. Yeah, it, and I don't want to disparage anybody with their haircut. Like, you know, if you want a stupid haircut, go get a stupid haircut. All the power to you. Of course. But this was a dumb haircut. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so super weird. Now, she actually references that in one of the conversations they have. But just to go through this in order, the first conversation they have, she reveals that her name is Jadis Stokes. So that's an an adopted name because as we know, It's Father Gabriel Stokes. That's definitely not a coincidence because they had a lot of interactions Mm -hmm. on the main show. So she adopted his name, which I think is interesting. She says that she's working as a military cop. They're investigating corruption and that uh, Lieutenant Kublik asked her to come here and conduct a security audit. Um. We find out that she's old friends with Huck. In fact, Huck trained her early on when she first joined the CRM. And Jadis actually refers to Huck as her mentor. Mm -hmm. So these two go way back. And there was a student, you know, teacher relationship here at, at one time. And now Jadis has returned and she's kind of investigating everyone. So I thought that was fun. And then later in the episode, in their second conversation... Uh, She talks about her past life a little bit back in the junkyard. And this is where she mentions that creating their own language and a little theater is what you need to do to lead people or at least manipulate them into a community. And uh, that kind of the haircut factors into that and the weird way of talking factors into that, which isn't a thing anymore. But um, that's why she did it. Is this the overall theme of The Walking Dead? The entire Walking Dead universe that we've seen? Every single community uh, has had this theater, mm-hmm. uh, this uh, this idea that they need to have a persona, uh, you know, a community persona. Like we had the kingdom, we had the, uh, we had Negan's group, we even had the, the governor had theatrical productions, uh, you know, the zombie fights or whatever the fuck they were. Yeah. Uh, you know, this, this idea of theater being used to uh, form community has been a theme throughout all of these shows. Everybody talks about it. You need a little theater. Yeah. Uh, the Whisperers, uh, you know, every single community except for Rick and the gang, uh, you know, are, are uh, uh, not even Hilltop, but, you know, Hilltop sort of sort of had this uh, medieval blacksmithy kind of uh, 
vibe to it. Sure. Uh, but our, uh, you know, our intrepid heroes don't really fall under that for some reason. Yeah. Uh, other than Father Gabriel's hat. Uh, <laughs> that's only recent. <laughs> that's only, well, he's had that for a while. Oh, yeah, I guess. But uh, this idea of community requiring theater, uh, you know, runs deep in this show. It does. And it's come up a lot. And I honestly think this is probably an idea that Robert Kirkman sort of stumbled upon when he invented the kingdom and Ezekiel and the tiger and all that. But they've used it in all kinds of other storylines and situations. Uh, You know, I I was going to say maybe unintentionally, but I don't think it's unintentional. I think they've they've kind of just used that as a theme throughout all the shows. And I got to admit, like. It feels like the kind of thing that would bother me, but it sort of works, you know, and it, 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 it explains a lot of what we saw with Negan and the saviors and with Jadis in the junkyard and, uh, you know, everybody else too. So I don't mind it. I sort of like it, but I think you're right. I think it is a recurring theme in the walking dead universe that you just have to play a character to a certain degree and introduce a little theater to you know, bring a community together. Okay. And, you know, maybe, uh, maybe I could adopt this in my life a little bit, you know, add a little theater to my life. I wonder if, if that would help or hinder. It couldn't work. It couldn't help. I mean, if you suddenly showed up at work or on all the video calls you have for work these days, and you were just a little bit playing a different character starting tomorrow, I mean, maybe you'd, maybe you'd be more successful in your career. (laughs) You think I could change my name and have a new backstory? Sure. I usually give I usually give a backstory like I had to give one today. Like where there was a new team member being added to the project, and uh, we all had to give a a brief thirty second blurb about who we are. Yeah. And uh, I have a backstory. Maybe I could. It's it's a work backstory, right? Like I've been with the company for eighteen years, and I've been working with the product since version one point one back in two thousand five, and you know it's all bullshit like that. Custom yeah. dev background, you know. Of course. Uh, but uh, maybe I could say things like, uh, you know, I used to wrestle alligators and I was the, uh, the CEO of the world's largest uh, pickle manufacturer in Laos. You know like, what? Just Who just, the fuck knows? Who the hell knows? But just <laughs> drop in little bits over time and eventually you'll be this like legendary, hey, I work with the guy that was the CEO of the largest pickle company in Laos. Like, Did they eat pickles in Laos? I have no idea. It doesn't matter. It doesn't it's matter. bullshit anyway. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> it has no bearing on the truth whatsoever. Right. Eventually you will be the theatrical character you want to play and not just lowly Jason Miles. I am the Pickle King. Laus. Laushen? Laus. Laushen? Laus. Pickle King of Laus. There you go. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, that'll be fun. I, I hope that goes well for you. Now, uh, Jadis. She goes on in this conversation with Huck to say that she made all the wrong alliances. So things back at the junkyard didn't go that well for her. But she says that she gave the CRM something very valuable. And obviously that's Rick because we know she flew away in a helicopter with Rick. And uh, He's valuable to us, but why would he be valuable to the CRM? He's just this guy. You know, uh, he is just this guy, but... For whatever reason, he's very valuable. Rick was a B, not an A. And whether what happened to Rick after she brought him there, we don't know. If they ever make these movies, I suspect we will find out. But we don't know for now. But for whatever reason, Rick was a very valuable 
specimen is the only word I can come up with right now that, that, that sort of works. And exactly why, we don't know. But that's what got her into the Civic Republic, the fact that she was able to bring a bee known as Rick Grimes. Maybe he's, he's immortal and she recognized that. He can't be killed. Maybe not. By mortal weapons. I mean, Maybe he, it, it has to be, uh, like, she's tried. She tried a couple of times to kill him, yep. right, with that uh, that zombie with the metal on it, the metal zombie thing. Yep. Uh, you Winston, know, she tried I to, think that zombie was called. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so maybe she recognized, and he was, you know, part of an explosion uh, in the middle of it, really, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and he landed on a big goddamn piece of rebar. Uh, so uh, maybe he's unkillable. Well, see, that would be valuable, and and we don't know, but um, geez, the torture he would have to go through—he'd be like uh, friggin' uh, Weapon X or uh, you know Logan, yeah, uh, you know, essential or even Deadpool for that matter. I, I don't know if I'm spoiling the X Men and or Deadpool for anybody, <laughs> but uh, they're relatively unkillable, right? They are Deadpool. Deadpool is unkillable. Like you can't kill. Like you could splinter him into atoms, and the atoms would collect and recoalesce, but that's because Deadpool's been cursed by a demon to never be able to die. I mean, the baby legs scene is one of the funniest things <laughs> I've ever seen. I, I laughed and laughed and laughed at that in Deadpool. <laughs> Deadpool 2, well, I think. Ryan Reynolds doesn't hurt if oh, it's, uh, since it's Ryan Reynolds. Doesn't hurt, but goddamn, that was funny. Uh, okay, well, Rick Grimes, maybe he's immortal, uh, but for whatever reason, he is super valuable and she brought him to Civ- Civic Republic. I was just thought it was fun to have an actual reference to Rick, even though they didn't say his name. It I'm not been... sure it was Rick, right? Oh, uh, well, we're talking about valuable. Yes, he's valuable to us, but why would anybody be that valuable to the CRM? Why would any one person be that valuable? Well, look, she said that she she made an arrangement for herself to get her into this community, right? And the arrangement was to find some buddy to bring to them that they were looking for, for whatever reason, not Rick specifically, but because she tried to bring father Gabe first. Right. And that didn't work out. She took his name instead and she ended up taking Rick. So, uh, for whatever the CRM was looking for, for whatever they were doing, it probably relates to the test subjects. Um, Rick was the kind of person that they considered super valuable at the time. And, you know, the difference between an A and B is like, I don't know exactly, but, you know, A's are bitten, but not dead yet. And B's are not bitten or, or something like that. I, I'm not even sure. I'm not sure that anybody is sure about that quite yet. Maybe um, he doesn't, uh, maybe he's immune to the virus. You know, we, we won't find out until he dies, but maybe right. somehow Jada's found out that he actually has, uh, you know, immunity to the virus and therefore would be super valuable. I don't see how she could know that. I don't think the show is going there, but you never know. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I am not sure. Um, the other, I mean, during this conversation, she also says that her purpose is to create a new era on this planet. She calls the Civic Republic the last light of the world. Again, for me, just kind of playing into what seems to be their whole mentality of, us against the world and we're going to take out everybody because we're doing this right and you're all a threat. Um, And then she reveals that she's keeping an eye on Huck at her mother's request, Elizabeth's request, um, because she thinks that Huck may have made bonds with outsiders while she was undercover. 
and they don't want that. They don't like that. So, um, she has to keep an eye on her. So, uh, Jadis is back and that's kind of what she's doing. And I think it's fun. Yeah. Very Gestapo. Very, very much so. Uh, I guess the other big thing in this episode is the whole Felix and Huck and biocontainment unit generator plot line. Um, I got to admit, I thought all of this was a bit dumb. Uh, and again, somewhat unlikely. It feels a little too easy for them to just move around this place, screw shit up, you know, do things. There's guards everywhere except everywhere they need to be, right? It's a little bit convenient, well, I feel like. that's true in life, right? Is it? I don't know. I've never really had run-ins with guards yeah. that were uh, uh, significant. Yeah, but like it's it just seems a little convenient for everybody. I mean, they they put on these radio earpieces and they can talk to each other. And I guess we're just supposed to believe that the CRM isn't monitoring that because they're all, all the soldiers are talking on earpieces too. You know, ah, it's all encrypted communication. Oh, fine, whatever. I guess I don't know, but. It just jumps out at me. Um, yeah. So basically what they have to do is they realize that uh, Lila is kind of in on this. So they check her computer logs for her key card and realize that she's going down to this cold storage containment unit. So they go, they find the door locked. Huck has to go and turn the generator off, which she basically blows up. And then Felix goes in to look around and this is where he discovers a large cache of the chemical weapon that the CRM used. Um, he also finds a bunch of frozen walkers that have marks on them. And I guess these are previous test subjects or yeah, future test like subjects. Yeah, they had tattoos and pieces of skin removed. Yeah. I don't know what exactly was going on there. They don't really get into it. The main thing they discover was all of these uh, supplies of the chemical weapon. So that's it. Um, and then... Yeah, Felix gets stuck in there for a little while, but ultimately when Huck comes back to get him, this is after she has ignored her superior on the radio, so she doesn't check in, which she's supposed to do. And then when she gets back to Felix, she says, whatever happens, I am with you. So she's on their side now. Yeah, I, I think so she says. Finally, finally come to it. Yeah, so she says. <laughs> That's right, but hey. I believe her. Yeah. I do too. Um, and you know, that's, that's it. There's one other sort of theme I wanted to mention that has, seems to be coming up on this episode and maybe this show particular is that it's about the, the greater good. And I don't know if you noticed this, but they mentioned the greater good two or three times on the episode. And of course that reminds me of hot fuzz. If you haven't seen Hot Fuzz. I was wondering where my brain was going, the greater good, and I right. was trying to place it, so thank you for that. It's Hot Fuzz. If you haven't seen that, go watch that movie. It's it's absolutely brilliant. But it's mentioned a couple of times, and I, I noticed elements to the story that are kind of playing into this. For example, we know that Indira is sick, right? And she has this side deal with the CRM for her uh, medical supplies that she needs for her kidney dialysis. Yep. And Elton reveals to, when, when they send the message out that they're not going to escape the research facility. In fact, they're going to burn the place to the ground. Elton reveals this to Will 
and he reveals that Indira is sick and he suggests that they want to, that if they burn the place down, it would mean Indira dies because she can't get her medicine. So he's all like, we can't let that happen because this one person is going to die, except the CRM has killed hundreds of thousands of people. So are we trying to save the greater good or are we trying to save, are we doing what's best for the greater good or are we trying to save this one person? So that sort of thematically was there for me. And Will then embarks on this mission to go into the CRM, which he originally said would be virtually impossible and super dangerous and all this. And he's going to do this to try to ensure that they don't do anything that endangers the agreement for her medicine. So like, I was like, who are they trying to help? The greater good or the individual? I don't know. I don't know either. Seems like some are on one side and some are on the other side, right? Yeah. Uh, and then we've got this scene where they're having dinner, um, right? All the, the girls and Leo and Lila. And there's the confrontation between Iris and her about testing on animals. And Lila says straight out that if sacrificing a few rats can save thousands of people, maybe it's worth it. And so, you know, it's rats and people and stuff like that. But I think the... The concept is there of sacrificing the few to save the many, you know, but uh, is that right? And Iris doesn't seem to think so, but Lila does. And so ultimately it's like, is burning the CRM to the ground the right thing to do? Um, They killed all these people, but they're also helping some as well. And they're doing all this research. So it kind of just brings it all back to me for... What are they doing and what's important and how are they going to resolve both of both of these things, you know, and, and our characters, how they're going to play into that and just sort of balance both sides. I don't know. Yeah. Well, when you have somebody, uh, when you have a group of people that are uh, killing a whole bunch of people, the only possible solution is to kill a whole bunch of people. Right. I guess so. Stop the people that are killing all the people from killing all the people by killing all the people that are killing all the people. Yes. And if there's collateral damage, like uh, people that are not killing all the people, uh, like there's probably ice cream vendors, uh, or there's people that, uh, you know, work at the power plant, they're probably not killing a whole bunch of people. So all these people are going to burn the whole thing to the ground. All these people are going to get hurt. But, uh, you know, you got to do what you got to do in order to save the greater good. Right. But do you? Is, and is the question, you know, do you? I don't know. Uh, I, I guess the greater good's important, but, you know, it's, I, I just think that's where this show has, has landed for now anyways, at, at least in terms of informing the motivations of, of the characters a little bit, right? They think they're helping the world, but really are they? I don't know. Are we going to lose more than we gain by taking the CRM down? Uh, that is the question. And I hope that gets answered by the end of this season because we know there's no more after this. Uh, but how this show plays into what happens in the other shows, what happens in the movies, like maybe Major General Beale is supposed to show up in the Rick Grimes movies. You know, maybe he's not even going to be in this show. Maybe he's the villain slash leader of this community that is fo- featured in the movies, right? I don't know. I'm just speculating, but uh, yeah, who knows? Who the hell knows? So they're doing something here, though. They're they're obviously trying to uh, weave a story web that's going to uh, fit into 
at least the Rick Grimes movies and probably the other shows. Like they didn't call this the world beyond for no reason. Yeah. You're, right. You're and they totally didn't make right. it a limited series. This is uh, basically a, uh, a bunch of exposition, uh, you know, woven into a, uh, a mini series. Yes. Yeah. For, for sure. But I still think it has to stand on its own. It needs to have a satisfying ending, even though it, provides context for other things. And I think if it doesn't, that's going to be a huge bummer and a bit of a failure of the show. How many more episodes are left of this show? Uh, what episode number was this? This was number six, right? So there's only four more. All right. Can we just wait until this is over? Like, do we have to report week by week on this or can we just kind of uh, gloss over it and just wait for the rest of the four episodes and then... Uh, watch all four of them so that we can get the overall story and then talk about it. I don't know. What do you want to do? Well, I'm having, like I mentioned, did I mention this on the, uh, on the podcast or was it afterwards that I'm having a hard time hanging on to the story or hanging on to this, uh, this TV show? Yeah, no, you did. Uh, It was, it was better, better this week, but, uh, I still had a minor panic when we started, uh, this episode that I had no idea what was going on anymore. I'd forgotten everything. Uh, if I hadn't have made notes and if I hadn't have gone back to, to jump around and if you hadn't have refreshed my memory with your uh, discussion points, uh, I'd be lost because I'm, I, I really don't know what's going on with my brain in this show, but I cannot seem to retain relevant information <laughs> from one moment to the next well, about this show. It's funny because I'm into it as long as they stick to the bigger story, as long as they stick to what the CRM is doing, or at least feeding us some information. We don't understand it all yet, right? But as long as they stick to that, I am, I'm okay. I'm into it. It's, as we've said, it's when they step away from that and try to focus on like the CW aspects of the teenage relationships and things like that when I lose interest and I have trouble staying invested. So I, I, that's just the way it works for me. It clearly doesn't quite work that way for you, but I got to think even you are probably more into the greater universe type story information we're getting here than the individual character relationships. Yes, and that's why I liked it when we had the conversation with Jadis. Everything else just kind of uh, flew out of my head, but I fucking laser-focused right in on her haircut and the discussion about the theatrical points of view and the Gestapo aspect of her job and all that stuff. Everything uh, that, uh, every word that came out of Jadis' mouth and uh, about all that kind of discussion I was right in on, but everything else just like, uh, okay, canisters, whatever. They're going to explain that later. Uh, you know, okay, so all their, they killed them all and then they got all the empties to show up, uh, to cover it up. Fine. They'll explain that later. I'm having a hard time caring about the minutia of this entire storyline. I just want the big picture stuff. And I'm thinking that if, uh, you know, much like watching uh, the X-Files, which is such a fantastic show, uh, in general, but the monster of the week stuff just does not interest me. You know, just give me the alien invasion storyline and everything else can just go suck a hat. Is that a state? Is that a way of saying something? No, I don't think uh, so, but why not? It, it is now. <laughs> whatever. Uh, so, I, uh, okay, I'm, I'm in either way, but just know that I'm having a hard time, Karen, about anything that isn't the greater 
overall how will this affect me yeah in the other uh, tv uh, shows that i watch i totally get it i totally get it i think as we move into the final four here though it's going to be more that kind of stuff than than all the extraneous stuff that you you can't focus on like jadis is here now so she's going to play a, a role in every episode going forward hopefully a big one um and okay it, it helps that from now on, if we stick to this format, which I'm willing to do at this point, because I think I've talked myself into it, it's only one episode a week, right? right? I don't have to watch two episodes and try and retain what's going on with two episodes. I, and it has to, and I don't watch them until Monday anyway. Yep. So if I watch it on the Monday, and if I save it to watch it at 8 p.m., an hour before we podcast about it, maybe it'll be fresh in my mind. Maybe a little bit. I mean, if you so, if, if you if you're doing something else and closing your eyes while you're watching it, it's not going to help. But no, yeah. I'm not going to do that. So I'll, I'll do it like a lot of like I do a lot of other things in my life. Uh, leave it to the last possible moment until it absolutely has to be done. Sure, fair enough. And if that works for you, then that works. Now, you're not having the same type of problem as much with fear, right? Because no fear, I'm all over. I'm I'm right into that. I can follow it. I know what's going on. I know what everybody's backstory is. All right. Uh, I know what their motivations are. Uh, I'm all, I'm uh, I have no problems with fear at all. All right. Cool. Whatever it is about this show, I don't know. It's 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 like they wrote it in such a way that just kind of fits through the cracks in my brain. Sure. I don't understand. All right. Well, we're gonna make it work somehow. And then we're going to take a break in December and you never have to think about World Beyond again uh, until the Rick Grimes movies because they're probably going to play into that. But hey, who knows if those will ever happen? But I think we can do it, man. I think I know. I think you can do it. I know you can. And we'll do one episode a week. Well, one of this and one of fear for another four weeks, I guess. And that's it. And then we're done. Okay. All right. Exciting. Let's finish here with a call from Paul. G'day, guys. Paul here from Melbourne, Australia. Long-time listener, first-time voicemailer. Uh, love the show. I love listening each Tuesday, Wednesday, our time. Um, just want to leave some feedback on Fear the Walking Dead and the world beyond. Uh, start with the world beyond. I give it a bit of a pass due to it being just a two-season run. However, I really feel that it's a missed opportunity. I don't understand who at AMC listened to the pitch and said, yeah, we're really going to get on board a bunch of teenagers to watch this show. Um, To me, it's basically just hardcore Walking Dead fans who want to know a little bit about the CRM. and they're forcing us to put up with this teen drama. Um, I can't stand the teen drama part of it. Uh, I don't like really any of the characters. Um, I just want to know what's going on with Rick and the CRM, and that's the only reason I watch the show. I can't see any new people coming on board, especially teenagers thinking, yeah, I'm really going to go back and watch season one of Walking Dead and come through. Um but that being said, there's some enjoyable parts, um, as there always is. Um, the graphics are always, the sorry, the set department always does a great job. Fear, on the other hand, 
it just feels like it's on a death march, but it won't die. It feels like a zombie in itself. Um, there's no end in sight, and I don't understand what the point of it is. Um, these last couple of episodes have just made me so upset <laughs> that I have to keep watching because I will keep watching. Um, but they make no sense whatsoever. And yeah, I, I feel sorry for Paul Lenny James playing Morgan and the other actors. So yeah, but you guys love what you do. And I really hope you keep going um, even after the series ends, whether it's Walking Dead or not. I'd love to see you cover some other things um, and just continue as long as you enjoy it. Um, I really appreciate it. All right. Cheers, guys. Hope you have a good one. Bye. Thanks, Paul. I think, uh, well, I mean, he sort of sums up both shows there, but I think Jason, he's feeling kind of the same way you are about World Beyond. You know, sounds like it. The the greater universe stuff is a little bit interesting, but the teen drama, ooh, rough. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good summary there, Paul. Thank you for that. Uh, And that is it. That is all. Wow, look at that, man. Long podcast, but we had a lot to cover. And uh, I'm glad we got fully caught up so we can go one episode of each from here on in. Really quickly, I want to send a thank you out to a couple of new people that have joined, well, new patrons that have joined, have become patrons at talking at patreon.com slash the talking dead. One of them is Paul M. Thank you so much, Paul, for becoming a patron. And the other one is Tiffany M. They're, they're both M, but I don't think they're related. <laughs> well, M. By just by M, yeah. It's a common last letter. It is, yes. Now, Tiffany has been emailing me for some time with what she calls Wayback Updates because she is or has been way behind on watching the slow and she's been slowly catching up and listening to our podcast. In fact, her messages go back as far as March of this year, 2021, uh, and she's been sending me all kinds of emails. So... I just wanted to say, first of all, thank you, Tiffany, for becoming a patron. Your emails are great. A huge thank you for, you know, listening and providing all the commentary. I genuinely love getting your emails. And she is now in season 11. So hopefully when she's all cut up and when we're back watching uh, season 11 of the main show in February, she'll be able to send in some comments on a current episode and we can we can get them on the show. But no matter what, Tiffany... It's great to hear from you all the time, and I appreciate hearing your experience with the show and our uh, our take on it sort of being rehashed. It's great. And then really quickly, here's a message that she just sent in the last day or two uh, after listening to one of our podcasts from last month. And she says, Jason, oh dear, that head injury sounded horrible and wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. But, by the way, deep head wounds ooze and shallow head wounds bleed profusely. My oldest son has had 17 stitches in his head from four different incidents, and my Jesus. youngest had four stitches in his head when he was three. Jason, I'm not sure we shouldn't be best friends. I have various first aid kits in prime locations around the house and vehicles, different kits that we take when we travel, based on the activities we will enjoy and our proximity to healthcare while we're out. So she's very well prepared and yeah, good. Uh, that's good advice, I think. 
Yeah, I was pretty close. I, I do carry, uh, well, I don't carry, but I do have a, a well-stocked first aid kit that uh, is in the house. And I also have a well-stocked trauma kit, which is specific for, uh, you know, bigger injuries. Yeah. And if, um, and I was really close to getting my, uh, asking my wife to go and get the trauma kit. Yeah. Because it has larger bandages, a tourniquet, which I don't think is great for a head wound. Uh, you know, <laughs> put it around your neck the, or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, not the best idea, <laughs> No, but it does have, uh, you know, clotting powder. Sure. Like this uh, special clotting shit that you put in there and, um, and trauma bandages that are, are meant for that kind of thing. But, um, I knew at the moment that, uh, it was just a, you know, a, a flesh wound. Sure. <laughs> just a flesh wound. Yeah. Uh, I knew it wasn't too, too bad. And I knew the ambulance wasn't too, too far away. Uh, but had it been someone else, if my son had been injured the way I had just been injured, I would have gotten that trauma kit and, uh, applied some of it too. Um, so yes, having yeah. good kits and knowing where they are and well labeled are, uh, a, a good idea. They're, they're sitting right over there and they have labels on them, first aid and big fucking sticker on them that says trauma kit. Can't so, miss that. Uh, can't miss it. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, you've gone through so many head injuries. It sounds <laughs> awful. Uh, you know, they're they're not fun. It's no, not, not, it's at not all. a whole lot of fun. It's funny Very you mentioned now. It's funny you mentioned the trauma kit because uh, I didn't read it, but her last sentence was, "I also have a trauma kit." So uh, yes, you and Tiffany are cut from the same cloth. It sounds like, and your last name starts with M too. So maybe you're related to her. We're all related. Yeah, you know, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks you two for becoming new patrons. If you'd like to join and so help support the show, you can do that by visiting patreon.com slash the talking dead. And we'll get into our season 11 prize giveaways again when the show resumes in February. All righty. Well, there you go, Jason. We have got all caught up. That brings us to the end of this podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, everyone, you can. You can visit TalkingDeadPodcast.com and clicking on Send Voicemail at the top of the page and record a message to send right into us. You can also find us on Twitter at TalkingDead or send email to TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com. Next week on the show, we will be talking about the next episode of uh, Walking Dead World Beyond, as long as Jason can stomach it, but I think we've talked him into it. Oh, I'll watch it. I just may not remember it. All right. Fair enough. And we will be talking about the next episode of Fear the Walking Dead, which is number five for season seven. So I look forward to that and I hope you do too. Until then, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye.